0: Hey, welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Plutopia News Network's podcast. We have some very special guests tonight. Uh, Our friend Carl Stone, who is one of the pioneers of live computer music. He's been hailed by the Village Voice as the king of sampling and one of the best composers living in the USA today, to the extent that he lives in the USA, because he lives some in Japan, some in the USA, Anyway, he's been using computers in live performance since 1986, and uh, we are going to hear some stuff tonight, or today. And uh, leading the conversation with Carl is the great Eric Dice, who is uh, a software engineer, but he's also an artist and improviser. Um, And uh, I will say I love these guys, and I'm... I'm, uh, Extremely happy to see you here
1: tonight.
2: <laughs> well, we're happy to be here too. I, happy I to be here, say. John.
1: Nice to meet you, Scoop. Yeah, so, Carl. There you go, Carl. We were going. So we were going to do this in September, and at the time, I was very on top of what your latest releases were, and we did a show together in Santa Cruz. And now it's November, and like there's all this new music, and you know. I can remember when your releases came out like every three to five years and yeah. then you had these unseen worlds kind of retrospective things and, you know, the the pace has picked up and picked up. I was looking at Amazon today. You put out five records this year. Like, what's the secret to your productivity?
2: What's going, what is happening? Well, um, the it's true that... Uh, my releases were few and far between up until about um, the time of the first Unseen Worlds uh, compilation, which came out in 2016. And I guess, well, part of it was just that that release was quite well received. um, Got a lot of press attention, was uh, Experimental Album of the Year with the, The Wire, which is a big music magazine, and um, got a lot of other attention. So in a sense, I felt sort of encouraged to to go on. I mean, we did a follow-up release to that. The first release was music that I had created in the 70s and 80s. The second release on Unseen Worlds was music from the 80s and 90s. And that also did very well. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, people are it's great that uh, people are acknowledging my work and sort of my place in the development of electronic music and computer music, et cetera. But nobody's really knowing about what I'm doing now. So I decided to sort of step things up and um, Unseen Worlds, which at that point, uh, really their sort of brand identity as a label was archival releases uh, from earlier times. And I think that I was the first artist to get them to sort of break the mold and release current music being done by people in their stable. And so we put out an album called Baru and followed it up a few months later with another album called Himalaya. And, and everything is just clicking along. And then when my release, I did a, an album during – uh the covid shutdown i was uh although i live in japan i happened to be in the u.s when everything shut down so i was kind of stuck in los angeles for almost 11 months and of course not going out anywhere not working except uh, doing some of my classes online so i had a lot of time and a lot of creative energy fortunately and so i did a whole album and that album Uh, Did well, and because of that, I got um, invitations from other labels and from other artists to do remixes of their work. Because one of the hallmarks of my musical style is working with found, or uh, some might say uh, borrowed, or some might even say (laughs) stolen, musical material um, as a starting point to create my own very different musical objects. And so artists were coming to me and labels were coming to me saying uh, you know we've got this music how would you like to remix it and so that opened up a different uh, kind of creative door and that's sort of 50% of what has been going on this year Eric when you mentioned five albums you know a couple of them are um remix projects uh, there's a a hip hop group called Clipping that asked me to remix their tracks. And uh, there's a, a jazz label in Finland that asked me to remix uh, 10 albums from their catalog. And um, that plus things that I did on my own make for a fairly productive year.
1: Yeah, seems like it. Um, I was I was gonna ask you, so we, is We Jazz the project you're talking about in Finland?
2: Yeah, We Jazz is uh, this. It's as you might guess from the name of the label, it's a jazz label and it is based in Finland. And, um, and is there a volume one? <laughs> there's a volume one by a different artist. Uh, oh, British I see. Okay. Who he, that artist remixed uh, uh, al- albums one through 10 in their catalog, and I got 11 through 20. I see. Oh, I'm okay. They gave me carte blanche. You know, I didn't have to uh, take material from all of the albums and i could choose freely from which of the albums i wanted and which tracks and which artists and you know I just complete uh freedom which was very nice also
1: yeah and and the copyright is there so those issues yeah didn't yeah. surface yeah which no right
2: no that was uh no no chance of them coming after me like uh some of the more famous uh, pop artists who I've deigned to remix, you know, might someday.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was going to, so, you know, I mean, this this question was for later, but it seems like a good time to ask it. You know, we when you started, I mean, just, you know, you've been at this for a long time. And there has been this notion of theft and borrowing and these kinds of things. But at this point, there's all this language around cultural appropriation and, you know, these kinds of things. And I'm just wondering, like, what is the, the worst thing you've been accused of? Or what's the worst thing that has happened in terms of taking things that uh, rub people the wrong way. Do you have any good stories to share with that?
2: Well, I do get criticized um, sometimes in the press or from people say, you know, when I lecture uh, questions from the audience, but no no artist or label has come after me, if, if, if that's what you mean. I've never had any legal jeopardy about it. Probably because, yeah, I mean, there is, um, some very you know ambiguity in the law itself uh and also um frankly speaking i'm just too small of an artist to really make a an impact uh, f- uh, or be worthy of the attention of a label you know when i'm selling 3000 you know copies of a of a track for which they have sold you know 3 gazillion right. they don't care. they really don't care That's um good. Probably the, the this is funny. Uh, <laughs> That's why I asked you. I figured it would be funny. <laughs> uh, the, the most sort of outraged challenge I got ever was from a professor at Juilliard when I was doing a talk there. And he was mad because I took the music of Henry Purcell <laughs> is so far beyond you know any copyright issues um, I took the music of Henry Purcell and I did you know um, a set of variations on it and uh, you know it was a performance of Henry Purcell on the Harps played by Igor Kipnis and he he somehow felt that this was invalid and I pointed out to him in all fairness you know speaking to a, an audience of classical musicians and this guy I don't I'm not even sure who it was but I think it was from the composition faculty uh you know pointed out that Benjamin Britten himself had remixed that very same uh <laughs> Henry Purcell piece when he did his young person's guide to the orchestra and that's not even to mention you know the times that Bach took German folk tunes and and turned them into chorales which he used in his um, cantatas and then Brahms remixed uh, Bach, and then uh, um, Alban Berg re- or Webern remixed uh, uh, Brahms, I guess it was, and uh, so on and so forth. I mean, the, the tradition it goes back centuries, it's just that now it's being done sort of in the digital domain and not with guys with pens on paper, right.
1: Great. That's great. Um, on the, uh, I'll just touch on this briefly, but then, you know, the the remixing of classical work. I mean, one of your, one of my favorite pieces of yours is the one that remixes pictures at an exhibition. And mm-hmm. it seems like, um seemed like it seemed to me a stolen car the, your album, stolen car kind of went back and revisited a lot of earlier ideas. And so there's a piece on there called Rinka that seems to kind of have that same impulse, at least my notes from September said that, that there was this kind of same, there was a, they reminded me of that piece.
2: Yeah. Because they're both based on orchestral works, yeah. which is um, part of it. And they're, you know, Rinka is uh, is a remix of a Bach cantata and um, the pictures at an exhibition piece, that's the title is Hope Can. And yeah, that, that takes sort of the fanfare, the opening fanfare and the final measures of the piece. Those two abstracts them and then does all sorts of time manipulations on them and and different kinds of transformations. So yeah. Um. Said, oh, stolen car represents your new style. It's very beat oriented. Blah blah blah. And I mean, it's true that the material I was working with, say, you know, contained, excuse me, uh, contained uh, you know drum machines and actual four on the floor beats. But they're both very, very rhythmical. The stuff hopcan is indeed very rhythmical, and hopcan would, in fact, uh, I think, you know, even though it was done literally 30 plus years before anything in stolen car could have fed into that album I think yeah good
1: okay that, that was my feeling I I, I was mm-hmm. I, I thought stolen cars is great I mean thanks, thanks. tones is great I mean it's all great but that one was was really it felt like I was visiting visiting old friends uh in in new costumes or something
2: yeah thank you yeah
1: be a time to ask so there is you mentioned the the four on the floor beats you know that which i think um you know some of your pieces really rock out you know and they they, some of them keep the beat some of them are very march tempo Mm -hmm. um and then as the piece evolves the beat gets kind of shuffled up and confused a bit um -hmm. but i wonder you know it's interesting to me that you can do those things and and sometimes in a like format piece uh, and then there are these very long drone pieces that either take up a whole CD or mm. you know the performance that we did in Santa Cruz was really quite, I wouldn't call it ambient, but there were definitely no beats to it. It was just these clouds yeah. of song, sounds. And so I wonder, yeah. do you put on a different cap when you compose that way, or do you see it all as the same? I mean, do you distinguish between
2: those kinds of outputs? Yeah. Um. They come from the same head, of course, but um, they uh, they obviously sort of set the listeners time scale in a different in different ways. And I don't know, it's yeah you know, the many moods of Carl Stone. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just um, you're I think it's not unfair to broadly categorize my pieces into both of those, but of course, there's more no, segregation there and and more nuance. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, part of it is like uh, I do, although I mean, I don't know what to how to say exactly it's very often comes from the material itself, which will suggest something to me. I mean, a lot of times a a piece that I'll work on will will come, well, either from exploring a process or from the material itself, which will suggest some method of processing. And those seem to recently fall into these kind of two broad categories. There's some music that I think, well, what would happen if I really slowed it down and got into sort of the molecular uh, composition of, you know, this sample, what's going on in the sample by stretching it. And then it does become like a drone. If you slow something down, anything down slow enough, it will become a kind of slowly evolving drone. And so there's a lot of uh, sonic interest inside of those moments, and so try to explore that, or something where um, it's already v- rhythmical and you want to sort of play with that and create almost a kind of hallucinatory experience by shuffling things around so that there's, uh, on the surface, you you can see um, a piece which ha- may have a semblance of normality, but once you actually start listening, it it becomes very strange. Um, those seem to be kind of the two directions that I'm going with, although, and I, and I do it kind of in parallel, and it really is suggested, I think, by the musical material that attracts me. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting about the concert in Santa Cruz, was that the first set was
1: more beat heavy, Yeah, shorter pieces, uh, louder, yeah. Uh, whereas the second set was was quieter. And, and well, which, you know, still mean, evolving.
2: right. And you know, the the thing about our collaboration with I, which I like actually, um, although it's kind of treading dangerously, is that uh, you know we didn't really talk about it uh, at all in terms of how it was going to flow. I think we had a little bit of a discussion of you know why don't we start this way or why don't we end this way. Um, if I recall correctly, yeah, yeah that's right. But other than that, I just was kind of going, and I hadn't, I'd seen what you had been doing in videos that you had provided, but I didn't see that many, and, uh, but I had a general idea of sort of how the imagery flowed, and it suggested to me that music, which also kind of flowed in a way, might match better than something that was very, very cut up. I don't know, you've worked with other musicians both before you and I worked together and after, and uh, do a lot of them take a more rhythmical approach than I did?
1: Well, that's an interesting question, I guess, and I'll I'll just back up and say for people who are tuning in and don't know, um, I've been, this year I've been doing um, essentially projecting digital maps based on crowdsource data and manipulating their colors and movement and rotation and zoom and these various parameters uh, with an iPad in real time, so I, I treat it as an instrument. Um, and I have worked, I've done 10 of these now. Um, you know, the, the sh- there was a show I did in DC with- oh, we lost your sound. It was a drummer and I was kind of concerned about, I've never performed with an actual like four on the floor drummer before. And I, I wasn't sure it was gonna work.
2: Can you say but that actually... drummer again, it got somehow uh, uh, muted. So yeah, least... Darren Baiza. Darren, Darren,
1: maybe Darren Dar- Darian Darren Baeza. I don't know. He's a young guy from Texas who's living in Baltimore now. Uh-huh. Um, and he was just very straight ahead drumming, but it added this energy and it actually kind of worked. So I was, you know, I wouldn't have expected that the, that level of percussion would work, but it actually worked quite well. We had a lot of fun. And actually that was, that was the one that like, you know, we cut it off at 60 minutes because we said we were
2: going to, but it could have, I think it could have gone on longer. Sixty minutes of continuous drumming sounds
1: well hard. drumming and then the you know, Jim Ryan is a guy who plays saxophone and you know, a variety of small percussion instruments. So there was other right. other musical things happening too that were more I mean it was a very jazzy set, but it was still this kind of I don't know. It was it was it was an interesting thing. So hmm. um but yeah, most of them tend to be flowy. Uh and I don't want to dwell on this, but I, I did a performance last weekend with a woman who builds her own instruments and, and she has is- uh A set of three glass cylinders filled with water that are connected by hoses and she can raise and lower them and change the pitch and she dips her hand in and does the rim and does all sorts of sound taps them um Mm -hmm. and and her approach she was like we're going to do this like cage cunningham you know you're going to do your thing i'm going to do my thing when it comes together the audience will know it um but as it turned out her music was so evocative to me that i actually followed her very closely and oh
2: you broke the rule
1: I broke the rule but you know that's what rules are for right yeah. <laughs> i i think it was a lovely performance so i don't know I'm what still was the learning. name of the artist uh her name is chris bobrowski
2: where is she based? There's, there's
1: there's one there's one excerpt up on the on my my Vimeo thing now and there'll be another one after my uh quota uh resets tonight so
2: okay if you want oh <laughs> uh, wh- um, where is where is she based
1: she I think she's on the faculty at uh the, the college in San Mateo and she lives in the East Bay. Mm, I see. Sounds interesting. We we did we did a show at the, there's a new series that's the Mosswood series that Matt Ingalls runs. Yeah. We performed there. Cool. Which was good. Yeah, it was really good. Um I want to ask you about a third of even maybe a like a third branch of your music, which I think we talked about when I when I saw you last, which was Kamiya Bar and the kind of music concret and real, like, literal field recordings that you work with? Um, yeah. Are you
2: coming back to that at all? Or are you was that a one-time project? No, in fact, uh, Kamiyabar was done when I was visiting Tokyo. Uh, I mean, I lived in Tokyo for six months back in the 80s, and I did a lot of recordings then. And Kamiyabar is a sort of a, a sonic portrait of Tokyo in the 80s. All the material was recorded at that time. And now I live in Tokyo and I've been here for 20 years and I've been making recordings and, and have stepped up my recording activities in the past few months because I'm sort of planning a Kamiyabar Bar 2.0 uh, for next year. Uh, kind of a long piece using, once again, sounds of recorded in Tokyo, urban sounds for the most part. Um, and uh uh so i'm definitely you know have this in my mind i haven't actually done the piece i'm sort of still in the material collection phase right now and it's great because i mean digital the recordings that i made in the 80s 88 89 done with um it was a portable digital recorder made by sony recorded on the medium of DAT, DAT, it's now a defunct medium, Um, with a Sony stereo mic, which is a good mic at the time, but uh, they have better ones now. And so, and I can work with a smaller machine that's more reliable, has better quality, and um, doesn't break down like a lot of Sony equipment does. Uh, (laughs) 8.3 there movie the movie the movie the Dinjan.
1: Dinjan. 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 Dinjan.
2: in Japan joke about uh, what's called the Sony warranty, where uh, <laughs> an item will break, you know, a year and a day uh, after purchase. Uh
1: huh. I thought I thought you were going to come up with something like the, uh, you know, the line about Fiat.
2: You know, that, Fix it again, Tony. Yes. <laughs> Once I that saw one cracked it, me up when I when I heard that
1: one. That one cracked me up. It's, yeah, you I, you I know, came to that
2: before, one late. When I was in LA, uh, this was a while ago, but nonetheless, there was a guy driving down the street uh, in a Fiat and a huge banner on the side of his car, like huge, went from like bumper to bumper uh, (laughs) saying, lemon, lemon, don't buy a Fiat. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. Uh, By the way, John... the sponsor for this uh, broadcast, it's not an auto company. Is it?
0: <laughs> if you find us a sponsor, we will be in your debt.
2: All right. Uh, well, uh, maybe, I don't know. Don't try Fiat first. Line yeah. up Sony for
0: us. We could use a Sony mo-
1: uh, money. <laughs>
2: Okay. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, I mean that, that's the the answer to your question is yes. I'm still very interested in field recording and y- appropriating uh, recorded materials for musical use. Cool,
1: yeah, because I, I I that's one of my favorite recordings of yours, but it, it does stand out. It's it's different than than the others. Yeah. Um, maybe related to that, but a, a change from music to uh your photography you've you've always been uh a documenter of your food at least as long as um you know cameras have been built into phones and have been pretty portable so you you've been documenting the meals regularly for a long time but the past year or two you've been documenting your walks and dark architecture houses you know like unspectacular architecture, but um, many, many, many photographs of Tokyo Mm -hmm. or other places you've been. And I was wondering if you could say where that impulse fits in and what your ultimate
2: goal for that material is, if you have one. Well, I just, uh, very organic. I consider myself a total dilettante when it comes to photography. I'm not trained at all. I don't uh, really pay attention to the details in in photographing like like what iso i'm using or exposure time or anything like that i i simply walk around with a camera and i've started uh, i mean food is easy because you eat at least three times a day and in my case often more <laughs> Um. So that that's no problem. But uh, you know, when, when COVID happened, I got into, just to sort of keep moving, I got into the habit of walking around Los Angeles uh, in the early morning hours. Right. And then once I was able to return to Tokyo, I began walking around at night. Right. Uh, was uh, walking around the city, in any part of the city, day or night, after midnight, in the morning there's no security or safety concerns it's wonderful that way even the 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 quietest of streets um in even what would be considered by uh japanese standards to be a kind of dodgy neighborhood is is still completely safe and um and uh well there you go uh the by the way, can is this going to be a video cast or is this just an audio broadcast? You can cut this out this question if you want. Are are people going to actually see these images, or are you just uh John just putting them up for our... we're
0: doing both? Yeah, we're, we're on both. both uh you know Facebook and uh YouTube.
2: Ah, okay. Uh so yes. Um Fiat uh, TV I, <laughs> <laughs> So, oh gee, I should've worn a better shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I forgot my necktie. My, my nice um, it's hey, okay, Hugo. I'm in
0: my pajamas.
2: Yeah, okay. Mom. <laughs> uh so uh yeah, I mean, just walking around late at night, uh especially during COVID, there were very few people out on the streets. So these uh just became kind of entranced it was almost like a meditation and I became entranced with these lonely streets uh, devoid of people uh, sometimes dimly lit or with you know the focus on you know a window or a sign and and just began documenting them and for all the things I put up on Instagram or Twitter I've got you know at least 10 times as many just in my personal database. And um, uh, they actually may, I'm sort of thinking that they may provide interesting fodder for uh, uh, the piece that I mentioned, which is kind of a Bar 2.0 for want of a better term. If it had a a visual component, say in live performance, uh, some video uh, could be based on on some of those photographs. I think that might be nice.
1: Well, I, I enjoy seeing them, and it just seems like a new,
2: a new direction or a new,
1: yeah. But COVID, COVID did funny things to people.
2: COVID <laughs> oh, did funny things, and also camera technology, I think, has improved to the point where you don't have to be a master photographer to take, you know, good-looking shots. Uh, and uh, so I plead guilty for, you know, relying on. The suggested settings that my camera provides, rather than me having to, uh, you know, take classes in photography to learn about, uh, you know, how how to get results, good right. results. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I think there's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. Uh, speaking of technology, I'm real. I'm I'm really sad about this. I. Uh, when we first met face-to-face, we ended up doing a a show at this at the San Francisco Cinematheque where I showed films that sort of worked with some of your, like, sampling and repetition mm-hmm. impulses mm-hmm. in that you performed pieces. And uh, I still have your press kit oh. <laughs> <laughs> from those days, but I can't find it today. Oh, Jim. <laughs> um, but there's a photo of you. I think wearing sunglasses, but like sort of kneeling down, leaning over with two original Macintoshes or very close to original Macintoshes next to you. Sick that ring a bell? Yes. Yeah, I think did I did. Yeah. Did you go out on the road like that with two, with two actual
2: desktop Macintoshes in the day? No, I never toured with them, but uh, I think there was, a, this is fuzzy for me, um, I think I did one tour where I asked them to provide an additional Mac, and I'm not sure why I did that. Um, I had some kind of network happening through MIDI, basically using MIDI to send data from one to the other, and and it was you know back in in those days. We're talking this was ninety early
1: 2000s, late late. Well, okay,
2: I'm thinking late late nineties, early. Oh, no, no, I don't think so. I moved to San Francisco in 93. And we did our project just a year or two after I moved. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it would have been maybe 94, 95. Yep. Um, And those days, you know, you couldn't really run two programs at the same time and have them communicate with each other uh, internally. So you had to kind of clue things together uh, using some kind of protocol and MIDI was Kind of the easiest one, uh, uh, for me at any rate, rather than some serial connection. Uh, so uh, I think that's what I was doing, sending maybe data from an algorithmic program into a separate algorithmic program. Like maybe I had uh, M running on one and Max running on the other, it was something like that. But it's not, so, it's not something that I kept go uh, doing because my instinct is to sort of keep the technology as simple as possible. I like I don't like traveling with a lot of gear. Um, Hauling, you know, back in those days, you had to take. uh, You know, what they called portable computers were more like kind of luggable computers, like like a desktop Mac Plus or Mac SE and um, And then a bunch of midi gear and, you know, I had like a rack case full of midi gear and a a computer in a big bag and plus a suitcase with all your clothes and everything. So touring was not uh, as easy as it is today, which basically you put a laptop in a knapsack and hit the road, Um, which is great, which is always what I wanted. That and a change of underwear, you know, and maybe a toothbrush is really, (laughs) all. You need the tour, yeah. Um, And so uh, these these days, uh, I I do know someone who works with two laptops side by side, but I think they do it mostly for show. Uh To be honest, I think there's very little that you can't do internally with a suitably fast Mac these days. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's that's, yeah. That's sort of what I was thinking. Just and I remember you know going to music new music shows in those days and you know it was it was inevitable that you would hear the sound of a Mac rebooting at some point yeah <laughs> well <laughs> yeah sorry. yeah the yeah. chime was very recognizable as yeah. part of that landscape uh yeah it was,
2: it was so it was such a nightmare too because you know if your program crashed it would take down the whole machine you had to reboot re- everything and it would if you had a lot of extensions it would take that happened to me if more than more than a few times and it was nightmarish, especially when you were up on stage. Was, right, you know, right, terrible. right, yeah. Yeah, I was,
1: I mean, I mentioned this to you, but I'll, I'll mention it here too. I thought, I think it's It's interesting, you know, I mean, as an early laptop performer, you know, to see you in Santa Cruz uh, sort of getting up with your iPad and like moving around a little bit, shaking the thing and like actually doing some embodied work, you know, you might say, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to just sitting there and, being a geek, um, I don't know. Is that interest? I mean, interested in me. I was surprised when you stood up. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what's he gonna <to> do? <laughs> He's furious. He's getting at it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. actually, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, add to that and just say that I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't know if that's the reason why I've been thinking about this for a while, but I do want to start taking sensor information from my, my iPad and feeding it into the map stuff. So if I yeah. do this, the map, the pitch, and the, you know, all those things map into something so yeah um, Yeah. i think i think it's great to do that i i didn't do it in oakland but i you know it was a large enough space that i actually thought about walking around the room and controlling Uh maps as i walked around because i could i could do it and that was the first place that was large enough that it really made sense to try so it's interesting
2: if we ever do if we ever do another uh performance together it would be fun if we both had our laptops and we both standing either on stage or strolling through the audience you know yeah. hand together yeah, yeah that would be cool yeah we should do that
1: anyway but i think i mean do you feel uh untethered
2: in any way uh, well um yeah i mean it is sort of a nice feeling to not be trapped behind some strange sound just happened um it um it is sort of nice to just not be sitting in front of a screen i personally didn't really care that much I, uh, for me in the way I listen to music and the way I listen in concerts is the music is the most important thing. I don't, you know, the theater theatrical component is really not the main part and it's not a sporting event. And so I really didn't care if uh, someone was, uh, you know, actively like moving around or if they were just sitting as long as, you know, the sounds that were coming out of the speakers were interesting. Uh, so, but that's just me. And I found out it was just me when I found that if some people crave an, uh, like the artifacts of an actual performance uh, in w- what are the artifacts in their mind in any in an event, which is to have some kind of action. And it might be like a, a performer's action might be associated with a sound, immediately associatable, or, or in, in the case of with computers is not necessarily i mean you might press a button that'll instigate a or initialize a process that might not become manifest in sound until seconds or even longer
1: right
2: so um you don't have that one to one necessarily but i found that yeah, people uh, just given the audience what they want uh in a sense that they do like to see performers stand they do like to see a lot of gear and cables which i'm sorry i will n- probably never ever again <laughs> be able to provide right um unless i were to do something like what blue cheer the rock band you know the sort of the proto heavy metal rock band from the 60s used to do which is Bring in, you know, multiple stacks of Marshall amplifiers, uh, of which only one was actually connected to the sound <laughs> system. Yeah, everything else was just for show. Just for um, show. And uh you the know Rody, Full of Employment stuff. Act. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh so yeah, maybe I'll bring you a bunch of gears and a lot of patch cords you know, because people really <laughs> love seeing stuff patched.
1: Yeah, see.
2: these days especially. Oh my god. Yeah so um uh you know i do and you know probably have not been uh, successfully engaged by certain uh, presenters because i don't uh provide enough of a show i'm sure that has happened but it is what it is and uh, i think uh as i am performing live i am doing stuff if it if people can at least see that i'm performing live and not just you know checking my email behind a computer screen it's not a bad thing um but uh if they if they're actually sort of looking for grand gestures where like a guitarist will strum a guitar and you hear the guitar chord that's not going to happen you know it's a there's an inherent disassociation between what i'm uh doing with my ipad and and what the resultant sounds might be
0: hey i have to chime in and say that I, when i've watched you play i found it pretty fascinating
2: well you're a geek John, well i right? guess so.
0: <laughs> but you're pretty kinetic when you're playing
2: well um i uh, or maybe when I, saw you now, I mean no i uh, i'm to remember the last time you were there at a show of mine and it's been a few years you did a couple
0: of shows here yeah a few years ago one of them was at plutopia in fact
2: right and since then i think it's become even even more so as eric points out i'm using an external controller not all the time but some of the time uh and um you know that allows me to stand up and and uh, move around and so it's even uh, more kinetic than it was cool
1: yeah I mean air guitar we know what that is air laptop we don't really I've <laughs> <laughs> never heard anybody say that <laughs> uh, let's see what else was I going to ask you about um I'm curious I don't know, you know, it's funny. I mean, I looked, I, I, I did look at your Wikipedia page, and I looked at f- a few things prior to this, and and I've forgotten or not known about all the, either the the, the collaborations that you've done live or the people that you've composed for. Like I know Bay Area pianist Sarah Cahill. I know you've written pieces for her. I remember long ago, you did the Hyper Beatles project with Aki Takahashi, and you rewrote a, you know, you you arranged a Beatles song. Yeah. Uh, and you've, and you've performed with Ned Rothenberg and Elliot Sharp and these kinds of people. I'm just wondering, um, well, I guess first of all, are you are you have you have you been doing have you been taking commissions recently, or is that more of a past thing?
2: No, I haven't done any commissions recently. Um, but I have been doing a lot of work with other musicians. I mean yeah. uh since I came to Japan, I sort of opened up myself for a lot more live improvising on stage I started developing max patches that were optimized for improvisation and, and uh, working, you know, doing kind of free improv. uh, A lot of players here, both, uh, you know, people like uh, Kazuhisa Uchihashi, who's a great, uh, he plays electric guitar and also the daxophone, which is a instrument built by a German uh, musician and, and instrument maker, Hans Reichel. And um, ranging from those kind of people working in, already in the experimental music world, and then also with uh, some traditional musicians uh, from Japan, many, uh, a lot of traditional musicians uh, don't really have an ear or a feel for um, contemporary music or computer music and, and don't really improvise, but some of them do and finding them if you can find them and uh the results can be interesting um there are a couple of players that i've worked with uh traditional players uh, from china and from japan and um i hope to continue with that as well yeah i know and you've got your fairly i mean maybe your longest standing is the realistic monk project or are the longer i mean that's your duet right realist realistic monk uh is not as a as a duo sort of unit it's been around for a few years i've maybe since oh gosh 2014 2015 something like that um i have to my archivist will get back to you um, <laughs> but uh so yes that's a long-standing unit um but i have other units uh you know sort of people that I work with on a regular basis um there's a, a vocalist in Japan who goes by the name of Akai Hirume. Uh, and we've performed together a bunch in Japan and in the US. And um, uh let's see, Min Shaofen, the, the Pipa player. I met her first when she was living in the Bay Area. We were both living in the Bay Area at the time. We've continued our association, <laughs> even though we're very far apart now. She lives in in uh Tennessee, wow. Kentucky. I think she's in the Appalachian area. And then, I, of course, I'm in Tokyo. So the opportunities to play together have become fewer, but we still do work together. She's nice. also great. She's the one who um, I did my set of uh, acid karaoke pieces with her. Because in addition to being a great uh, people player, she also <laughs> uh, won top prize in one of China's uh, a karaoke contest she's a great singer uh, yeah so uh so we've done stuff together
1: that's hilarious yeah I haven't heard her name for a long time but I remember the collaborations yeah. when you were here especially
2: yeah yeah uh speaking
1: of people in different places um next year is a big year for you birthday wise and also touring wise and event wise and tribute wise and all these kinds of things I guess do you want to say anything about what people no, have to look yeah. forward to Carl Stone, 2023
2: yeah 2023 will be the year that i turned 70 and so to mark the occasion i've decided to give myself my own uh, platinum jubilee and (laughs) uh, organizing some events around uh to just sort of congratulate myself for surviving this long so so um i've got uh plans to do like a three-day residency at a place called 2220 archives uh, in los angeles i'll be part of the other minds festival in um, the bay area san francisco bay area Uh, doing multiple evenings at roulette in new york a three-day residency in London at Cafe Oto, and mm-hmm. then a lot of uh, touring activity, uh, you know, sort of single evening events, solo events uh, in, I don't know, Glasgow and um, working on some other cities as well. Still, things are still very much in, in, in the works. Now, the whole schedule has not been set yet. We're working on it, but those are the things that are decided so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, also, uh, Big Ears uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, Uh, that'll be in March and April, three days there. And uh, so, uh, uh, other Unseen Worlds, my trusty associates uh, with a record label will put out a yet another compilation a three LP set that will span from the very beginning of my musical activity God help me. And through, uh, <laughs> you know, what I did up to the point we had to shoot the composer and send the master tapes off to be, uh, you know, cut into vinyl, which is a, a very time-consuming process these days because of all of the cutbacks that happened over COVID. A lot of manufacturing, uh, like LP manufacturing, has. Uh, consolidated shall we say and so uh timelines have uh must necessarily be much longer than they used to be mm-hmm. uh, we already had to for a for a release that will come out next summer we had to put everything to bed um a few weeks ago that means in the fall of the year before yeah. it's almost nine month turnaround time Wow.
1: well, well there's still vinyl at least that's amazing
2: <laughs> well yeah it is um and if you Uh, If you're putting out CDs, you at least have one market in Japan, maybe nowhere else. But for some reason, uh, Japanese consumers still buy CDs for some reason. I don't know. And uh, LPs, of course, streaming is kind of the main delivery system these days. Uh, And uh, so, but the 70th, I mean, it's... uh, it's not a coincidence really but it, the the fact that I'm turning 70 coincides with my retirement from my academic uh, post. I'm a professor at a university here in Japan and and I'm being pastured out. Um when you when you turn 70 they they give Carl, you a, they give Carl you a walk walk you stone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm uh, already out in the pasture. I'll I'll be looking for you
2: yeah i'm um, aged to perfection yeah let's uh let's have some hay together <laughs> or make some hay together.
1: make some hay, right yeah so
2: anyway so uh the fact that i no longer have uh, teaching responsibilities is great because uh, now i can get back to what i have been dying to do for a very long time which is you know get back on the road and and tour as much as possible so the Turning seventy also uh, is a good opportunity to sort of package things under one rubric, and um, uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, I I hope to have, assuming my health works, uh continues to have a very active year next mm. year.
1: Great, and and touring feeds you. You love you love touring. Huh?
2: I do, I do. Yeah. As as I remember it, I mean, of course, as you get older, you. Uh, less become maybe less of a road warrior than, than in times past. but uh, fortunately when you get older, uh, you can sort of um, more often than not um, make sure that you're you may not be traveling first class, but you're no longer traveling worst class, you know I mean, <laughs> you can sort of upgrade uh, more more frequently. Nice, great.
1: Well, it's, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a great
2: year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I don't have anything particular. It's really nice talking with you. Uh, and uh, I really enjoyed the chance we had to work together back in back in September 2022. Yeah. And hope we'll have a chance to do it again sometime.
0: Wow, this is great. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Eric. You can follow the Plutopia News Network at plutopia.io. On Facebook, go to @PlutopiaNews. Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. This is the Plutopia News Network, 20 minutes into the future.